Hey, I'm Amanda from Trifecta Fitness. We're proud to be Clarksville's new Get Fit headquarters. Trifecta Fitness is a state-of-the-art spin and strength training studio. Our spin studio is truly one of a kind in this area, complete with 20 state-of-the-art live fitness bikes and an incredible sound system. Our strength training is done in small groups of six or fewer, and all of our strength and spin classes are scalable for every level of experience. Come see us in the heart of Clarksville, just behind Mapco at the corner of Old Trenton Road and Wilma Rudolph Boulevard. Call us for more info at 931-542-6265 or download our Trifecta Fitness app for a full list of upcoming classes. Thank you, Adam Bond, for playing an amazing set tonight. And hang it over to the Misfit Nation. Don't forget your lunchbox and stay safe on your ride home. Our next guest is both an award-winning author of Hired, Cut Your Career Surgeon's Time in Half, and Ignite, Engage, Retain. He is also a global operations supply chain professional with over 25 years' experience in global manufacturing in countries such as Thailand, China, Malaysia, the United Kingdom, Germany, and Brazil. The cherry on top of this is he is a U.S. Army veteran who served in the greatest division on Earth, the 101st Airborne Division, during Desert Storm and the Desert Shield. He is a practitioner, not a theorist. He lives and works from what he writes and speaks on, getting extraordinary results in half the time of others. Don't forget to call in. We'll put you on the air at 202-813-9379. So without further ado, let's welcome to the Misfit Nation, George Murray. How are you, George? Who are? How are you guys doing? Very good. It's great to have another Screaming Eagle on here. It always gets a lot of 82nd people mad when we say we're the best division on earth, but we keep rubbing into him. As, as long as I'm alive, I'll do that. It's been a while since I've been to Clarksville. <laughs> uh, so a lot of stuff has changed since last time you were here, believe me. You might you might have to drive through a few times to try to remember where things were. It's a, a very uh, 
very fast growing area now thanks to the growth of Nashville as well. Oh, that's good. So George, if you don't mind, I mean I gave a, a quick blurb about your, your history. Tell us a little more about yourself from as far back as you want to go to how we got to where we are now. Sure. Uh, served in Desert Storm, Desert Shield, uh, 101st. Uh, also over in Germany, uh, 1st of the 15th Infantry, Audi, Audi Murphy's uh, homeland there. And um, been in uh, global supply chain and uh, operations, multi-site operations for probably about 20 of my 25 years history um, in four industries, main in uh, automotive, contract manufacturing, semiconductor, and RFID. So it's a, a wide range of uh, different things that you were involved with there. So you, you had to have a good knowledge to get that supply chain moving for all that stuff. And uh, you also an award winning author. Uh, you sent me your book hired and uh, you, it is now a number one bestseller. You said after a year, thanks to the surge of uh, people needing jobs now. So that's a great thing. Great for you and great that you were able to provide this tool for, the, for those out there. And uh, tell the audience a little bit about your other achievement you received today. Yeah, so um, a great lady that I've known for many years and prior, anybody who doesn't know Anne, she is a number one uh, LinkedIn uh, expert. So if you need help with your LinkedIn profile, et cetera, she's the person to reach out to. Um, she actually nominated me for the 2022 uh, military veteran executives to be um, recognized. And so very thankful for that. Um, and she's just a, a great person overall. That's awesome to have uh, people in your life that'll that recognize you. That's that's why I was called the inner circle. That's the person you want in the inner circle, someone that's cheering you on and pushing you to greatness. And I think that's what she did for you there. And not that you needed the help, but she helped you to, I guess, get to that next level and get you more recognition and maybe get help more people with, with your writing. Yeah. You know, we learned this in the military. It's, it's always there to be helped as well as help, right? If you are higher than the person below you, you need to reach down and lift them up. And uh, I've been very thankful uh, through the years to meet a lot of great folks. Definitely. I, I believe surrounding yourself with a great team, you may be the leader, but you may not be the smartest person in the room. You may not be the quickest person. You may not be the strongest. And you need that, that team around you to make you the best you can be or the best we can be. Uh, there's that adage, there's no I in team, but there's no I in, in military, there's no I in anything. You have to do it you, with a team and with a focus of we will get to the finish line. No, I absolutely agree. You know, one of the, th you know, I use a lot of the things that I have learned through my entire career in my writing and job transition, et cetera, is all kind of been from the military, you know, just a great place. Um, who else in the entire globe gets people to volunteer, raise their hand, pull them from all walks of life, all financial uh, aspects, and throws them all together and makes them work together. And more importantly, willing to give their life for something bigger than themselves, right? There's no corporation in the globe that does this than the military. And to your point, you know, as far as team, one of the things I, I've been saying for at least 20 years in operations is, is that I would rather have a SEAL Team 6 than a dirty dozen any day, right? The, the military people are well-rounded and trained in multiple tasks so that if, if somebody gets, you know, injured or whatever, we lift that person, we bring them up on our back and we power through and move forward. Exactly. We all have that next man up or next person up mentality that 
say if I went down, the rest of my platoon they'd be able to run through the run through the battle anyway and say, "Hey, son, we did it." And here's a here's a picture of us at the end, so you know we did it, and you don't have to write us up. You know, or they do something funny like that. That's that's military humor too. So right. they don't care. They they care you're alive, but they want to get the mission achieved as well and have that success. So that's also something we we learned in the military. You got to keep pushing forward and complete the mission, no matter how many people are with you or how many people are left. You got to finish the job. Absolutely. When you guys started the, the global supply chain stuff, what was your biggest, uh, I guess, obstacle to getting get into it, and uh, your biggest your biggest feat to get into it and start it started out there? Well, I think you know, um, you know, a lot of people actually grow up saying, "I want to do this and I want to do that." Um, I actually fell into my career, um, got out of the military, right, and uh, had a family friend say, you know. Um, they're looking for some people over here in the automotive industry. And at the time, it was autom uh, TRW Automation that uh, really needed somebody in propellant manufacturing. And I'm like, oh, we got the experience. And so um, the mil you know, the, the military prepared me to really fall into operations and learn it. It's a process, right? Like anything else, military is a process. Everything's documented. Um, and that's really where operations and supply chain, especially the last three years. It was challenging the last three years, and those who were good at it were really good at it, and those who were, you could tell who was not good at it in the midst of the three-year uh, span there, and who's now catching up. So those who were good, kudos to you, and those of you who uh, relied on one system to help us, uh, I hurt you. Yeah. <laughs> it hurts all. Hire a couple more veterans. <laughs> yeah. so let them run through walls for you and do things, and that's how you make things happen. Absolutely. Uh, you said you were in 115th Infantry uh I was in 315th Infantry at Fort Stewart. It was my first duty station, so two units away from me and across the water. So uh, that was uh, things. China Bandits was the name of our was our battalion there. Mm. We didn't have Audie Murphy. We had uh, just a bunch of Bradleys and people like like to act like they were light infantry, but they were on Bradleys. So it was fun, but I learned a lot there. A lot of steep learning curve for me with the infantry, with the mechanized infantry. Then I went to light infantry after it, and I fell in love. Yeah, you know, uh, I like I said. I have never regretted a day in my life in the military, maybe the first day, right? Uh, when I raised my hand and went in there and I said, you know, I'm going to turn around and count how many push-ups I'm going to do. And I think about one o'clock in the afternoon is when I stopped and I had well over a thousand push-ups with all the drop, give me 20, drop, give me 50. <laughs> and still trying to find your gear that you were supposed to be holding at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> it was a different time back then. Now that I think I only can drop for 10 at a time now. So it'll be a lot of droppings to <laughs> get to a thousand now but i guess if you want to count for that many drops that'd be awesome yeah uh, in your service uh, you were were you infantry or were you a support in infantry infantry yep. so you went from being an infantry ground pounder to a totally different mind totally different job so that's a weird it's a crazy transition and you said you kind of lucked into it and not a lot of people do luck into things that way <laughs> Did you think, uh, do you think your mindset that you had going into the military from, from I guess, your youth and your parents helped you in that transition or was the military mind is what really helped you the most? Yeah, the military for me, I mean, I had two parents that barely could get two nickels to rub together, you know, really difficult. And I know that um, I wanted a different life for myself. So, um, you know, the military gave me the best option, you know. And my aunt was pretty upset because I came out of the high, I came out of high school and I had, you know, um, I had the ability to go to college, right, when a scholarship. And I'm like, nope, I want to go in the military. 
um, nope, I don't want to be an officer. <laughs> um, and uh, she was really uh, she was really upset with me. But I think through the years, um, I chose my path, and a lot of times my path chose me. But um, I'd never give it up. I mean, um, the military has really formed my ability um, under a lot of great pressures. You know, um, you had referenced, you know, the time that I was in Thailand. I went over there at six factories uh, under 40 feet of water in less than 24 hours. And I had to develop a strategy so that we didn't have an impact to our customers, right? And in three months, we were back online. We were the fastest operation up over in the industrial park there. And it was all because of my military training and ability to, you know, just, you know, intestinal fortitude, push through. That's outstanding. And that uh, Thailand underwater, uh, for those who don't know, Thailand is pretty much close to sea level and all parts of it. So it's it's not hard to for a monsoon or a typhoon to come through there and really cause havoc. And for you to get at the three factories that were underwater to be operational and continue to function and provide to the customers, that's a testament to not just your training, but your mindset and your go-getting attitude to make things happen. You know, and the team, right? I mean, like you said earlier, you, you, you are nothing without a team. And we just had, I mean, what I have found when I was over in Thailand is the resiliency and the dedication of those, those people were just incredible. I mean, here, their their own houses were under 10 feet of water, and they would take a boat to a vehicle, drive an hour to our facility, help us clean up and everything else and get back up and go back home and work, you know, their hours to get their own house up to speed. I mean, it's just phenomenal. That's incredible, yeah. My brother went there, I want to say, uh, early two thousand, late 90s, early 2000s, he was helping build power plants there. Mm. He wound up... Uh, basically gaining a whole other family there. They, they fell in love with him. They took him under as his, like their big, uh, shining American son. In uh, 2009, me and my wife, 2008, me and my wife went there for vacation and they did the same to us. They took us and we had our own personal tour guide. They took us all around to all the places, told us the best places to stay. And it was amazing. Uh, just their hospitality and the, the ethics of the people there, the culture was amazing. Yeah, no, great. I mean, one of the most beautiful places I still to this day have seen is is Phuket. Right? I don't know if you got a chance to get there, but boy, it was just it was phenomenal. And it's like you know, why wouldn't I go out there? You know, when you spent already half half twenty four hours on a plane flight, you know, to at least experience that, it was just beautiful. Definitely, uh, we went from Korea, so it was a, a lot quicker flight. So, mm. but we stayed there a week. Uh, we were there over New Year's week, New Year's Eve, and New Year's Day. So it was it was beautiful just watching there. So how they celebrate compared to how we celebrate. And the way the people acted, they cleaned up after that night and made the next day like it was a whole new brand new world. And all the mess that was out there was gone somehow. I couldn't believe it, but it was real. Uh, we went to a place, I think it was the six tiers of uh, waterfalls, and you're supposed to find monkeys in there. And I, was ah. real upset. I was really upset that I'd never seen monkeys, but that's just my luck everywhere I go when there's supposed to be something. I never see it. Uh, manatees in Florida, I'd never see them. Uh, monkeys there, uh, bears in Gatlinburg, never see them. But, so if you want to see those things, don't go with me to those places. <laughs> <laughs> you kind of you kind of warn them off there. Yeah, I guess I <laughs> must have some scent or something that they they don't want to be seen when they're there. I'm not a hunter, so I'm not going to kill them or anything. I just want to see them and maybe take a picture from a distance. <laughs> right. So of the other places that you've been to besides Thailand, unless that was your favorite, what was your your favorite place to be uh, working and favorite place to uh, I guess travel th through? Um. One of the favorite places was that experience. You know, I was working for an RFID company 
um, and the challenges and the continued growth that it experienced in you know in the four years that I was there was just incredible. Um, and the just opportunities from the CEO. As a matter of fact, the conversation went a little bit something like this. You know, I had just turned around the operations in the U.S. and the CEO in Germany calls me and says, "George, I need to talk to you." And I'm like, "Well, I figure." He isn't going to turn around and fly me all the way to Germany to fire me. He could do that over the phone, right? And so we sit down um, at lunch. You know, I got in there probably about 10 or 11 o'clock. We went to lunch and uh, he goes, um, you know, that there's some challenges, you know, in our Thailand operations. And I said, uh, understood. He goes, um, I'd like you to turn around and go out and take a look and assess it. And I says, can do that. He goes, and I'd like you also to turn it around. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not sure if that's going to float with the wife. And so the wife just said, good luck. And uh, the rest is history. <laughs> she said, have at it. That's good. That's right. You know where we'll be. <laughs> yes, ma'am. <laughs> we'll do it and make uh, make sure that it works out. And uh, I mean, you got to go to Germany and then there. So Germany as a soldier, then Germany as a civilian. Was it a big difference for you? Yeah. You know, as a matter of fact, um, a lot of the, the sites, I was stationed at Kitzigan, um, which is just outside of Würzburg. Uh, a little small airfield. Uh, as a matter of fact, um, uh, interestingly enough, the Germans used the airfield uh, a lot during World War II. A lot of history there. Um, but I traveled back there. I think it was maybe almost close to 20 years since the time, and it was a ghost town. Every chain link fences and everything up. It was it was really sombering, um, you know, because so many tr troops all the way back from the time that I was back there in '87 through '89 in prior all the way to world war ii there was a lot of activity and for it to be just totally closed down in a ghost town it was really kind of sombering probably like a ghost town yeah i'm sure yeah. my dad was stationed there 50 50 to 53 i think or 50 to 52 he was over in germany mm. and he had all these stories of germany and then when i i finally got there the first time it was just for six hours because my plane broke down so mm. we just stayed on uh on the base there it was in frankfurt and then the second time I went as a civilian, I went there uh, on a mission to help train. And I got to be there 30 days and got to actually travel and see things. And I went to where he was in Heidelberg. And I thought it was amazing. But he said he was telling me verbatim where places were in Heidelberg. It's like, it's not there anymore. It's not there. This is 20, it's 2019 now. It, it's not there. It's got to be that. It was there when I was there. Yeah. It was the 50s. That's right. <laughs> 60s. No. <I> <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely, you know, um, it definitely uh, ages you. That's for sure. I mean, if you, if you're feeling young and spry and you go back and just like when you go back to your high school and your college, you know, you just never realize, oh, well, that wasn't as what I, you know, kind of remembered. <laughs> right. and, and you see how younger, how much young the students are at those schools now compared to when you, when you are now and you say, wow, I am old now. I yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, there was there was a time when I was the youngest plant manager, the youngest operations manager, the youngest chief operating officer, and now I look around the table, I'm like, well, I'm the old guy. <laughs> I'm that guy we all laughed at before. That's right. <laughs> now they're going on break and laughing at me. Oh man, but you've stayed ahead and you've stayed technologically advanced. You've you've kept up with the time, so I'm sure that that helps out a lot too with your relationships with with your teams. Yeah. You know, one of the things that um, I always love the question, you know, a couple of questions that uh, I think companies really need to drop. Uh, it's first is what type of leader are you? Right. Um, this day and age, you have to be all leaders. Right. Because, you know, a certain situation you might need to be an autocratic leader, you know, just go in, assess and make a decision. 
while other times you have to turn around and be maybe laissez-faire and let the team make the decision for you. Um, but I think, you know, one of the things that the military is taught, and even it goes all the way back uh, to Jesus, is, is I'm a servant leader, right? My responsibility is to help my team remove roadblocks for them to be more successful and collectively will be more successful because of it. So that's one of the first questions I always ask, uh, you know, HR folks is when they ask me the question, I say, well, what leader do you need? And they kind of look at me with a, a cocked head and I said, well, you know, depending on the situation, you know, a person, a true leader needs to make sure they assess and adjust their leadership accordingly. Exactly. And you got to, not just to the situation, you have to understand each person on your team. Absolutely. Because each person will react differently to different types of leadership. So if you do the same thing to all of them, you're going to lose half your team immediately. And yeah. the others will be either they'll either quit, they'll go to HR complaining about you, or you'll just have no productivity out of them. So you have to understand people. you got to be a people person and then understand how to deal with all kinds of different situations. Yeah, and that goes into my second book. You know, my second book uh, really was, uh, you know, the last 15 years of what I've seen in leadership, right? Um, I've seen, you know, you've heard a lot of uh, talk in the last 10 to 15 years about lack of employee engagement. I just posted uh, something just uh, a couple of days ago is all time low. Now it started to tick a little bit up. And then after COVID it's, it's back down with all these layoffs and everything else, like 34% of your employees are actually engaged, right? 18% are working against you. And the fact is, is that you know, my, my new book, Ignite, Engage, Retain, is how do you ignite a workforce as a leader? How do you engage your team, even in the hybrid sense, right? Because again, you have to be all to everyone as a leader. And most importantly, how do you retain talent? These companies that were just two months ago uh, complaining about not being able to recruit enough talent and more importantly, retain the talent, basically just flipped a switch and let them all go, right? So that really shows their colors as far as um, a company. And I can tell you, talking with a lot of folks in the last month, um, they have really looked and assessed currently where they're at in their career. And they're basically saying, you know what? I know what I don't want to do, and it's whatever I just left. I don't know what I want to do. And they're evaluating that. And they've got options, a lot more options than they ever have. Definitely. That's, I just thought of another question that people ask it on interviews that really, it really got up in my craw when I was going through my transition. What would you do if uh, person A and B are having a conflict with each other? Mm. So I have to find out what's wrong with person A and B. Right. I have to know what their situation is. I can't just come in here cold and say it. I, I thought those were always trap questions for some reason that they're just trying to just waste time on an interview with those questions. Is that one that you find is is a another weird one to ask? You know, the, the weird one for me or the one that I kind of really chuckle and laugh I mean, if they looked at my resume and it, and I proudly display, I'm a veteran, right? Um, and the first, and the question they ask is, can you tell us a difficult or how do you deal with stressful, uh, you know, situations? I'm like, really? Yes. <laughs> After you've been shot at, everything is easy. <laughs> yeah. And it's in that situation where you kind of like go into that movie scene in your head. Uh, you're in the flashback, in that in the shootout, or or in that firefight. And, then you come back to the gray area. Yeah, yeah. I think I would just stay calm and just work through it, I think. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, you know, just smile and wave, boys. Smile and wave. <laughs> that would be a great movie cutout scene right there when that question comes out to any veteran that served uh, served in a forward operation facility. Because uh, that's, 
that's just something you can just laugh at, I think. <laughs> yeah, I do. I, I you know, I, I just tell them, I said, you know, if you knew anything about um, military folks who are in work environments, they, they dealt with situations like that much stronger. And I mean, you know, even if you have a boss that's yelling and, you know, you know, screaming and everything else. Uh, and I've had those bosses. I'm sure a lot of the viewers have as well. I just kind of chuckle and laugh. I'm like, you know, when you've been, you know, uh, ripped by an E6, <laughs> you know, or, or a Colonel, right. Um, nobody in the civilian life can give come close. <laughs> exactly. And your, your skin becomes a lot thicker when that happens to you, uh, more than one time, you'd be just become, all right. Thank you, Roger Sark. Roger Sark. Yes, sir. Roger Sark. Right. Mike's full. Got this. Can move <laughs> forward. And uh, what's my next task? Oh, good. Thanks. Right. Because you're not firing me, right? <laughs> right. I think that's one of the things that a lot of people say. You know, um, there's really not a bad day that you have. I said, well, first of all, I've learned to embrace the suck in the military. <laughs> right. But when you do that, you know, there nothing could touch it. You don't let anything in. It just can't get you right. But um, I, I have been, I've self-labeled myself tenaciously optimistic, right? Because, yeah, life is tough. Life is hard. Um, but if you let that water in, it's only, it's only your fault. And more importantly, you know, you're going to go south, right? So you got to maintain as a leader. I think that was a, my, my transition. The hardest part was the day I took off my boots the next day. It's like you're running into a wall. Mm -hmm. After 22 years of putting that boots on and you hit that wall the next day and there's no one to either yell at you or you to yell at. Yeah. So you're like, all right, so it's just me and you guys, me and my dogs sitting at home. Uh, and <laughs> so I took a year to, I guess, find myself and uh, become become one with who I was going to be. And mm -hmm. then finally I took a job at a nonprofit and I worked there for two years because I didn't want to be a, a statistic. Most, most veterans leave their first job after a year. That's the mm -hmm. crazy statistic. So I stayed too. And then I, my old first sergeant called me and said, hey, do you want to work here? I said, heck yes. I came, I'm working where I am now. And it's a great job where I am now. It's nothing. It's it's like a, a mini military unit because it's all veterans, all senior leaders that work together. And we all talk trash to each other all day long. <laughs> so it's just like we're still in uniform, but not. We can get to home, go home every night and have fun. But it, it never changes. But that transition, it was a hard wall to run into and then try to figure it out the right way before I did something insane, go insane with myself. Yeah, as a matter of fact, there was a company I worked for. Um, I want to say more than 85% of the leadership from a supervisor all the way up to directors and above vice presidents were all ex-military. Um, and, you know, great, great leadership, great team, great camaraderie. Um, but more importantly, um, that company grew at an exponential rate. And I think because of the fact that, you know, we, we had leaders that, you know, saw an obstacle as an opportunity. It's a way for us to show our team that our team can shine. It's a, not a way to hold us back. We're going to get through the obstacle no matter. You may not like how we do it, but it's going to Yeah. <laughs> yeah, by hook, by hook, crook, or draw, it'll happen. <laughs> may see me some great workings going on, but we're going to get this thing done. And thank you. I mean, you're welcome. <laughs> yeah. So you also have a coaching side, a coaching business you, you have on the side here. What are uh, some of the things that you find that your clients are really looking for as they come in? Well, you know, one of the things right now, um, got a couple of, uh, that are going on coaching board members, how to work together, right? You would find, you you would think that a lot of executives that are at a board level um, know how to work together, but uh, 
this one in particular, they're, you know, they're struggling to, to maintain focus, um, distracted, easily distracted in the board. The, the, you know, the organization's not moving um, at the pace that they'd like to. And so got to go in there and kind of just say, okay, we got to develop some ground rules, even though that, uh, you know, we're dealing with all NBA stars and so forth. Um, we all need to understand what our role is and what our support is and um, having those discussions. And ironically enough, it's not so much the employees that I have the challenge with, it's the leaders, right? Because everybody, you know, wants to, to lead, right? And right. I think, you know, as a leader, there are times that you have to lead and there's other times that you need to follow. And the greatest leaders are the best followers. Lead, follow, get out of the way. That's true. Yeah. Exactly. Like uh, we're, we're taught early in our careers that there's the leader, there's the lead, and you got to be one or the other at all times. So if you're not in charge, let someone else be in charge and just do it. Yeah. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride because they're the ones that are taking all the responsibility. Yeah, so to your point, you know, I think most of them are just, you know, understanding that their cultures are not where they want to be and they need to adjust. I tell people all the time, you know, first and foremost, don't tell people that they're going to change because no one likes to change. Nobody, right? And change doesn't really sustain over a period of time. But what you can do is you can enhance anything, right? And this is really... Uh, not throwing the baby out with a bathwater scenario, right? It's going in and assessing and understanding what's working and then, you know, recognizing that all the individuals and then adjusting the sales to change over a period of time. The only way you're going to be able to truly get people to adjust and enhance the current culture is through time, effort, determination, all those things, and then support, right? Getting them developing different beliefs and different experiences because we all come up with different beliefs and experiences. This is one of the things that military does really well with takes every every form, every, every uh, level of financial person and throws them in the military and just basically says, you're all green, you bleed red, you're a team, move forward. And drive on. There that's right. And that's uh, when you hear uh, the, uh, the diversity talk now and uh, DEI and all that, all those acronyms that are thrown out there now with the corporate level and how they try to really throw it in the face of their employees. I always do that flashback things for 22 years. I was in the most diverse corporation in the world. Absolutely. There's nothing more diverse than that. I mean, when I first came in, there were still pockets of like, Oh, clicks here. You hang out with them clicks hanging out there. But when you got to work, everyone worked together, you worked together like, like you were a family. And as the, as the war went on from uh, 2001 on, Everyone was just together. There was no more clicks, and it was just insane. It was insane to look from the outside in how close everyone got and how much more diverse we got as my career progressed. Yeah, one of the great speakers, Simon Sinek, does a lot of work in the military, and he just he commends the military leadership and how the structure is. Um, and that's one of the things I like to try to bring to organizations, right, is, is how do we develop that camaraderie? And the fact is, is even the newest, even the youngest employee has ideas to move the company forward. How do we take that and harness that and move it forward? Right, and camaraderie isn't just uh, going out and having a beer after work. It's working a task together at work and getting that taste of victory together. Like you said, it could be the first, uh, day two employee comes in after they get done with their in-process in the day, first day. Day two, they're at their desk, and they come up with a light bulb, and that's the idea that pushes us forward. Yeah, absolutely. By rewarding or giving that responsibility or shedding some of your responsibility to that person, you're showing that you trust them already. 
and you build that whole team mindset and the camaraderie of the team. I had one of my my best um, managers, leaders. He's actually you know one of my best friends now, um, post military. Um, and ironically enough, he'd never been in the military, but there was some conversations where he's like, you know what, George, I know you're in the military, so I'm going to tell you like this. I normally wouldn't tell you like this, but I'm going to tell you like this because he understood and knew me. But the fact was, is he was the most charismatic leader. Um, Bob Simpson, I'll tell him out there, you know, is that um, great guy, huge um, following. I mean, this guy found out, I mean, he was running an organization that was well over 1,500 employees, and he knew everybody's name, he knew their spouse's name, he knew the best, you know, their football teams that they, you know, so that he could poke fun. A lot of times, I remember him coming down to us, you know, when we were working in the, uh, the propellant area, and he would be like, oh, George, you know, the Giants, man, they really just bombed that last weekend, right, man? <laughs> but he knew, and he, I mean, he just had that way, and I mean, he would have been a great leader even in the military. Definitely, yeah, that's a, that's a great person, that great uh, cheerleader, and uh, egg or egg or honor that you want to. Yeah, right you got to poke, you got to poke the bees. Poke sometimes. the bear every once in a while to get them going. Yeah, you said the Giants. You mean the New York Football Giants or San Francisco Giants? Yeah, New York Giants. I'm a New York team. I'm Heck born yeah. and raised in Bristol, Connecticut, and um, yeah, all New York, true traditional New York teams like the the Yankees and uh, the Rangers and the um, the Knicks. All right, well, I'm a Giants, Mets, Nets. Rangers, <laughs> a little sprinkle. Born, yeah, I was born in Jersey City, so that's uh, I'm a Nets. Oh, okay. Up. Yeah, so that's why I got the Nets there with me, even though they're in Brooklyn now, but they're still still my team. Yeah. So so I, I see another connection between us: the infantry and then the Giants, New York the Giants. Giants. I thought you were going to say poke funny for being a Minnesota fan. When you said Giants, was, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's funny is that uh, the Minnesota um, fans. Um, are just happy with, you know, coming to the game. <laughs> <laughs> you got to be happy when it's that cold out up there and Ooh. getting to the game and getting into that nice stadium they have now. It's a beautiful stadium there. Yeah, we got 14 inches uh, just in the last 24 hours here. Good God. <laughs> I think it's 70 here today, 75, 73 here today. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I have a lot of friends. I, I lived in a lot of warm places, and they say, you know, George, for some guy that's lived in the north and hated the cold, you picked the coldest state to live in. I said, well, you know, it's really about the people here, and it's a great way to, to grow a great family. I mean, um, the school systems are really great. People are really great here as well. So I guess, you know, you have to have a little bit of bad with eight months of snow. So it really, it really hurts hard when, you know, you're a Harley driver and you can only run about three months out of the year. You'll keep your Harley forever that way, though. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so I never have to chart, change tires. <laughs> Definitely. So, George, we talked about it. almost everything you do now. Uh, how does someone get in contact with you to either just chat with you like we are now or to get advice from you and maybe get some help in their, in their, at their board level or even at their growing level? Yeah, all they got to do is take my name that's up on the, the screen there, George C. Murray at gmail.com. That's my email. Uh, my phone number, 952-221-8868. And my uh, website is George Clayston Murray, C-L-A-Y-S-T-I-N, Murray.com. Uh, it's actually after uh, my great-great-grandfather. Up until a couple of years ago, it wasn't even uh, Googled. Really? Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So That's it's a sad. very unique name. Very unique name, and the website is going across the bottom of the screen now for those of you who are going to watch this on video. If not, if you're listening on audio, it will be in the show notes so you can get in touch with George and get some of his great advice to help you and your team 
find that victory you need. Uh, George, thanks for taking your time, and thanks for uh, reaching out to me on LinkedIn and uh, getting this thing going. This was a good chat. Rich, I appreciate it. Thank you. I'll be back in two and two. Thanks for checking us out and being a part of the Misfit Nation. Don't forget to visit our website at themisfitnation.com. It's themisfitnation.com to catch up on all of our episodes and also to get some of that great Misfit Nation gear. As always, be humble, stay hungry, and keep hustling because we are – 